0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Unlikely Journey with me, Steven Kwong, Natalie Claire Robinson, and Jess Furman. Happy birthday, Jess. Thank you. For your birthday, we have a lovely guest to interview, Jana Hennig. And Natalie, could you do us the pleasure of introducing Jana?
1: Absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Um, In the unlikely journey fashion, um, our guest today has often made really interesting, unconventional life choices. Um, And just one of the reasons I so respect and admire her is that she's always based her decisions, uh, not only on passion, but also her values and ethics. That's been very clear to me. Um, She's lived and worked in nine countries, from big corps to small startups to nonprofits across the world in finance, sex education, chocolate, mushroom farming, Uh, to the Olympic Games, to marine conservation, um, just to name a few. Currently, she's the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Positively Groundfish that supports sustainable fisheries. Um, She holds university degrees in multiple disciplines and speaks several languages. Um, I'm really proud to introduce my dear friend, Jana Hennig. Uh, Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, guys. (laughs) Happy to be here with you. Welcome. It's Friday morning.
0: I really hope you can live up to that summary. I mean, that's a lot.
2: (laughs) It sounded exhausting just reading it like that, (laughs) hearing it like that, right?
0: Yana, welcome to the show. We're really excited to learn more about you. It is all about that unlikely journey. So i like to pose the first question. Who are you? Where are you from? And how did you get here?
2: Starting with the easiest question of who are you? Um, Well, (laughs) I... Let me back up to where I'm from. I I was born in East Germany. When it was still communist, so I was born on the wrong side of the wall, and I'm the daughter, the only daughter of two physicists. Who, uh, well, that was that's an interesting, you know, childhood anyway. Uh, physicist parents who. Constantly instilled in me a love for math and science and experimenting and Asking lots of questions, you know, I really grew up in a home where uh, Curiosity was rewarded with really great answers uh, that led to more questions and more questions and You know, my parents really made me feel like the world is an inherently interesting place They also I think, instilled in me this belief that I can learn anything, that my brain has the capacity to understand literally anything that there is to be understood with enough time and effort. Um, So they really set me up with a great um, growth mindset and love for learning. It's always been fun for me to learn, so... That's why maybe, you know, I got all of these degrees and languages, et cetera, et cetera, because I actually enjoy the, the journey of learning. Um, but in contrast to, to that kind of expansive mindset was really the setting in which I grew up, which was, you know, kind of um, a prison, really. We were, we were not allowed to travel and leave the country and it's a really small country, right? It's, I don't know, the, the size of Vermont, perhaps. Um, and when I grew up, I thought I would have to spend the rest of my life only in that country and never being allowed out, never being allowed to see um, any of the countries that I saw in books or meet any of the interesting cultures and people that I read about in, in books or, you know, heard about. And on top of that, <clears throat> the the state would kind of tell us what we had to study and then assign a job to us and tell us where we had to live. So all of the sort of major choices in your life were kind of made for you and not even really considering your own passions or, you know, your own desires and, and wants and needs. So that was kind of the setting of my life for the first eight, nine years. And so when the wall came down, which was November 9th, 1989, and I was eight years old, the whole world opened up to me all of a sudden in one fell swoop, and I could not believe it. My whole life changed on a dime that day. And yeah. That is probably, that explains a lot of who I am and what I've done since then.
0: Wow. What a phenomenal beginning. (laughs) How? Yeah. But do continue. Tell us what happened after that. So the world opened up to you. Mm -hmm. You're looking at reality through a different set of lenses, I would imagine. Yeah. Talk to us about education, travel, schooling, and career.
2: Sure. When the wall came down, I mean, we, we were so poor in East Germany, right? By all international comparison, it was very much like a third world country. We didn't have a TV or a car or we didn't have a phone or anything like that. We grew most of our own food, slaughtered most of our own animals, kind of like subsistence farmers, except that my parents were also physicists on, the, you know, on top of that. And so when, when the wall came down, we really had nothing, like no resources and had to start from scratch. So um, I couldn't just, we couldn't just start traveling or, you know, do all of these amazing adventures that were now open to us because they all cost money and required resources that we didn't have. But... I think it was at age 12 or so. Well, I took a lot of time to really think about life, what I wanted to do, what kind of person I wanted to be right around that time. Um, I was kind of an introverted child at that point and wrote a lot of poetry and read a lot of philosophy and had this big sense of freedom. Maybe because of the contrast to where I grew up, right? I I had a real awareness of the fact that I can go and do anything, that I can be anything. And when you really let that sink in, like your mind just starts to go wild with like ideas of, wow, I want to do this. I want to do that. I could be this and I could be that. And I, I started to make a list life list basically and I think the the first iteration of that had maybe 50 different things on it of all the things I wanted to do and see and experience and achieve and contribute and etc etc and you know some of these were really like small things um, something like go dancing in Paris go shopping in New York or something like that which seemed Exciting to me when I was 12 sitting in East Germany Um, and other things were really big Um, Like the number the first point on there was I want to have lived on every continent For example, or I want to be fluent in five languages Etc. So some things are multi-decadal endeavors on there Um, I also at that time, really sat down to think about what kind of person I wanted to be. And because I really had this sense that, wow, I can actually decide what kind of character I want to have, what kind of value sets I want to live by. And, and I wrote those things down and made decisions that were really quite fundamental to, to my life at that point. And I decided that I was going to live a life that was truly worth living, that I would try and explore it as fully as life can be experienced with all the, the highs and the lows, the entire emotional spectrum, and go through life with my, this is what I wrote down, go through life with my my eyes, my heart, and my mind open. And, and so then I kind of set out to do that. And I found every opportunity I could um, that would not take money. So I, I don't know, even at 12, 13, we were starting to learn French at the time. And I found a pen pal in France and then became really good friends with her and started to spend all of my summers. As a teenager in the south of France, and getting a um, getting a glimpse of life in the south of France, learning a lot of things. Or when I was sixteen, I um, got myself into a an exchange student program that sent me to the U.S. for a year, to to a little Mormon uh, cowboy town <laughs> in uh, Mesquite, Nevada, in the middle of nowhere, which culturally speaking, was pretty far away from, you know, my hometown in East Germany. So that was, that was an amazing experience. And when it came time to, you know, figure out college, etc., there was no doubt in my mind that I would find a way to study outside of Germany. So I went to study in England and I studied international business and modern languages. So. All of my studies were taught to me in French because I wanted the additional opportunity to move to any French-speaking country after. And then I did, you know. I I worked in Luxembourg in, in finance um, as one of my first jobs and kind of went to explore the world from there.
3: So no, that's... I mean, oh my gosh. No, it's so incredible to hear. I, I think I, you know, my question for you, like, you know, thinking about like, I relate a lot. I mean, I, I didn't grow up on, on, you know, the east side of Germany, but I, I had a, like an upbringing where I, I was pretty trapped mm-hmm. in a not in a, in great um, home life um, as a kid. And, and for me, like I relate a lot to what you said about books. Like I'd read I'd read all about the world. And and for me, that was like mm-hmm. kind of like where I I like I hung my shingle. I was like, you know, if I can get out of this situation, like this is mm-hmm. the world I'm reading about. Like I'm going to go see it. So I, I guess my question for you would be like having had that wall come down, having understood that now you get to participate in this space, you know, aside from you know, maybe the politics that like put you into a certain area of like what you thought the possibilities were, like being out in the world. <laughs> Like, what was that like for you? Like, what was as you explored your education, your career, all these different languages, like from what you had imagined as a kid and what you experienced, uh, what was the world like for you?
2: I mean, to me, the world was always quite a magical place and full of interesting people. And I really love diving into the other cultures that I put myself into and go deep, so to speak. (laughs) Um, and I'm a very trusting person. I think I've always been. And I always think that everything will turn out really well for me and that people are genuinely good in their soul. And so, and with that sort of mindset, the world really is quite magical (laughs) when you, um, I think it was the actual experience obviously is always so much fuller and better and more instructing so to speak than any book can ever be a book can never replace the actual experience of going there because it's not even so much about what you learn about the the country the place etc or the industry that you go into but it's really about what you learn about yourself and when you go outside of your own country or outside of your normal context really you start to realize how much of what you think is you your personality your character etc how much of what you think is you is actually just an adaptation to your context and when you change the context you start adapting that part and you can for all intents and purposes, almost become a different person in a different context. And the more extreme the delta in those contexts are, the more you really see that. And that's really fascinating to observe about yourself. What parts of you are just adaptation to context? And what parts of you are really core to you? So, for example, you know, growing up with my physicist parents, I've always been really good at maths and science and numbers and analytics. And I thought of myself as an analytical person because of that. And, you know, I went to a science-specialized school, etc. So everything in my context always reinforced that. But it took going out into the world to other places to realise actually no, that's not really where my passion or my real I don't know, strength lies. Even it's I'm a I'm an inherently creative person. And I think with the other side of my brain way more. You know, I'm a very intuitive person rather than an analytical person actually. I can be analytical if I need to be, but it's basically yeah. self knowledge that you gain from putting yourself in different contexts.
1: You know, going on at, in, in that direction of your parents, I mean, so you left mm-hmm. Germany to, and experienced all of these things. Um, and I assume your parents were more kind of grounded um, in Germany. <laughs> um, and how did that affect your relationship with them? If you don't mind speaking about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm their only child and I definitely feel a certain amount of guilt for kind of leaving them. On the other hand, my my parents always raised me to be extremely independent. You know, they they taught me all kinds of life skills extremely early on and you know, I even walked myself to kindergarten instead of them bringing me. I was brought up to be extremely independent that's a value of theirs and they you know they didn't have these opportunities early in their life um, that they wished they had and so they didn't really want to hold me back from from being able to I don't know expand my universe and I guess they also saw it as Sort of career paths you know they were more supportive of anything that I did that seemed to I don't know put me on track for a great career the, the things that where we had major disagreements were some of my decisions like where for example you know I start, where I went off the career path and did something that was not in a linear kind of fashion uh, which is technically most of my career actually my parents, right? They're physicists, and when you're a scientist like them, the the concept of a career really is more of a funnel in a, in a straight line where you get more and more like deeply into a particular subject and become more and more of an expert on a smaller and smaller kind of specific subject, and that's extremely different to how I see the world or how I approach my career to them it just looks like a confused zigzag path and they can't understand why I'm so willing to in their words throw away my everything I've already worked for and throw away my my career in finance in order to now do the next thing. That's obviously not how I see it but that we've definitely had disagreements uh, over those over some of those decisions. So, for example, I remember a major disagreement. You know, I'd finished my undergrad, <clears throat> I was valedictorian, and you know, and then got a, got my first job in in finance in Luxembourg, like in the financial services industry. And my, you know, my parents thought, okay, she's she said she's set, she's going to make some money, she's safe, right, career wise. And but I I didn't like it. I thought I would because I was always so good with numbers and you know anything analytical but I felt like it was sucking the soul out of me and I felt like the entire exercise was kind of pointless um, in the grand scheme of the universe. I just felt like I wasn't really connecting to the world, like to the real world. We're just playing a big game with numbers. and. I just could not wrap my head around making that the purpose of my life. It didn't feel satisfying enough to me, and so i I quit that after a year and and then I was kind of like stumped, you know, like, okay, so I thought I was going to have a whole career in in financial something, and now I don't know what I want to do and but my, my approach to this was, well, I didn't like this. So how about I do the most opposite thing to that that I can think of? And for me, that was going to Tanzania to work for a nonprofit and become a sex education teacher. And that was at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic and you know doing very important outreach work. Um, and have to learn a whole new language, live in one of the poorest countries in the world, in one of the most, I don't know, poorest areas of that country, and have a complete radical lifestyle change, so to speak, and career change. And my parents thought that was insane, uh, for a fact. So yeah, I imagine that they would. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a freak out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, massively. And, you know, it wasn't just that they were concerned over, I don't know what might happen to me in Tanzania, but they were also concerned about my career because, you know, they thought I was basically throwing away all of my education and everything I'd already worked for up until that point. And I just saw opportunity for me to learn and develop as a person. You know, I was still so young as well. I was 23 or so. And really, I mean, thank God I didn't listen to my parents here because their prediction was very wrong. Um, My time in Tanzania really made me stand out, actually. I think it made my career.
0: Yana, when you're talking about going from one extreme to another, Mm -hmm. we, at least generally speaking, and this is going to be so generalized, many people don't... Get to move in such a drastic way, uh, especially someone when they're 23 years old. You were in a position where there was a lot of stability. You were already in finance. Why Tanzania? Why sex education? I mean, that seems to be like such a random draw, like a needle mm-hmm. in the haystack. And I'm yeah. This is this is leading. I'm leading you somewhere here. Was there? A calling for you? Like, is there a calling for you? You speak about intuition as being something that's very innate to your being. I want to learn a little bit more about that because as I'm looking Mm -hmm. at your LinkedIn profile, I'm like, man, this woman, she can literally do anything and everything she wants to do. But what I really want to know is, how do you find purpose and meaning? And is Mm -hmm. there something greater calling to you? What is that universal message? What is the higher vibrating frequency that's leading you to these? different adventures.
2: I think this, the, the, the search for meaning, you know, started early um, in in my life. And I think when I was younger it was really about me having the ability to experience life as fully as it can be experienced. And I saw sort of, you know, I, I think my my life in the grand scheme of the universe really is not particularly significant if at all. And, you know, whether I live or not live, does it really matter to the rest of the world? Or, you know, the, the arc of history. And it probably doesn't. But I thought, well, I only have one short ride through, through this one life and I want to, I want to experience it as fully as possible. And so, When I was younger, I definitely went through life kind of, you know, sucking up experiences uh, and new countries and new things, almost like, I don't know, kind of like other people want to accumulate materialistic things. I wanted to accumulate experiences, right? And that was kind of very me-focused, and it was... Not until a little bit later in my life, when that started to shift toward, toward a focus on others and the world, when I realized it's not so much about how much I get out of life, but how much I contribute to life, to the world, to the planet. And so some of my earlier decisions were really more about me figuring out what... I could be good at or where I find that it really clicks, right? Uh, a lot of it was just sort of experimentation and sampling, so to speak, um, as was that move between finance to sex education in Tanzania. At the time, this is going to sound weird, but I was, I think the major driver was actually going and search for failure, as weird as that sounds, because... I felt that I was 23 and I'd never failed at something, really. And I'd heard these like sayings, you know, if you don't fail, you haven't tried hard enough, or you haven't tried something that's hard enough. And I don't know, I was always an A-plus student at everything I ever done, and it didn't feel like anything I'd ever tried was an actual failure. And so I thought, let's find something that's like an actual challenge, like going to this foreign country that's about as different as your home country as it could possibly be, and do something like, you know, I didn't know whether I could be good at working with people and influencing them and doing it in a foreign language that I had yet to learn. So I had to do the whole thing in Swahili as well, which I hadn't even learned yet. So it felt like a challenge, and I wanted to see where my limits were. If i would find something where really nope that didn't work like that here is an actual concrete limit to to my capabilities and and i did kind of meet it there and it was great um because it allowed me to let go of that notion that my self-worth or my worth as a person is tied to how well i perform how much i achieve because in Tanzania, nobody really cares about that. Honestly, like they have a very different way of approaching life, and they just kind of are—they're very present—and they definitely don't have the performance culture that, like Germany has, or like my parents instilled in me, right? So, it was—it gave me a sense of I am worthy just for being here, <clears throat> no matter what I do.
0: I'm just taking so many notes here as you're talking. I'm like, this is. This is the guide. This is You're, you're my guide for today. I, I kid you not. This is incredibly profound meaning that I'm getting from this podcast today. Jess and Natalie, I don't know about you guys. I have goosebumps right now, continuously. This is this is I love amazing that. stuff.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah super oh my
0: Yana, bridge the gap. So mm-hmm. between Tanzania and where you are now, I know you're involved in... Some nonprofit work as it relates to the fishing industry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, take us through the the time warp. How did you get here?
2: Well, very quickly um, after I came back from Tanzania, I went back to England, where I worked for a big uh, consumer goods company, big corporation uh, that made chocolate, and gave me an amazing tour of sales and marketing and research and etc and it was a fantastic company to work for then i worked on the london 2012 olympics for about three years and that was probably the most challenging and fun and rewarding job i think i could have ever asked for i had to pinch myself a lot (laughs) to to think like wow somebody's paying me to do this This is incredible. And I thought, how am I ever going to have a job that is so cool like this again? And it kind of, I don't know, almost made me scared for my future because it was done. You know, like when the Olympics are over and there's a a closing ceremony and then you lose your job, basically, it's all over. And I didn't want to go into yet another job. At that point, I I felt so inspired and I finally felt what it was like to work on something that was so much bigger than myself or even our organization. I I got a taste of what it's like to work on something that's really big and beyond yourself, and important, and inspiring, and motivating, etc. And I wanted to find that again, but I didn't know where at all so I spontaneously basically decided to take a sabbatical for about six months and even more spontaneously within the space of two three days after the closing ceremony decided that I would spend it in Madagascar working for a marine conservation project you know (laughs) you know my life list that I made when I was 12 that had one of those points on there was to work on a marine conservation project. And I had consulted my my book, which is what I do often when, when I feel a little bit lost about what to do next. Um, and it felt like this was the right time for it. And I found something very quick where I could, I was already a diver, etc. and where I could help to do that. But it was supposed to be a pretty chill sabbatical where I could could dive three times a day and lay in the sun and in paradise and call it volunteering, right? But it turned out to be a completely life-changing experience that completely rocked me to my core. I, being there and getting lessons from the scientists there that we were helping with data collection, they give us lessons every day I read a lot about the state of our oceans at that point, and I could see it every day because we were mapping the reef, we were counting fish, we were uh, identifying coral and coral decay, and I could see it with my own eyes. And all of a sudden, all of those numbers and statistics that you read about the ocean really hit me deep in my heart. I cried into my goggles so many times, and it just would not let me go. And, you know, it took me a while after that. I'm not going to say that I immediately decided to change my entire life, but it stayed with me when I got back. And at some point, I had to realize that this thing in my heart is probably a sign that that's what I should be working on. And so I decided to, you know, quit my career in marketing in London and go back to university. Um, this is how I came to California, went to Stanford, where I got an MBA as well as a marine science fisheries degree and and a certificate in public policy. <laughs> and while I, because I was doing these two degrees together, I was constantly thinking about you know, how like ways that these two subjects overlap, business and or market mechanisms and and conservation of our natural resources, the oceans. So, and you know, my background in really thinking about consumers and consumer behavior, advocacy work, which is just a different word for marketing, just kind of led me down this road where I am now. So that's kind of been my mission ever since, figuring out how we can use the collective consumer behavior in favor of environmental protection or improvements to our natural resources.
0: And how can people listening to this podcast support your mission? Tell us a little bit more about Positively Groundfish.
2: Positively Groundfish, kind of almost as the name suggests, um, is working on one of the most positive comeback stories in the world of fish, in the world of the oceans, maybe even sort of in the natural world. Groundfish really is a, well, it's a biological term that, uh, describes about 90 different species of fish that live near the bottom of the ocean, which is why they call the groundfish. And these fish species once were overfished in about sort of the 80s, 90s, and were declared collapsed uh, in the year 2000. But then everything was done right. And all kinds of changes were made that are really quite pioneering. And they worked, and these species came back uh, fantastically, and are really, really abundant now. And it is really one of the the best feel good stories out there. But nobody knew about it, and this is happening right on the west coast of the United States, here in California, in Oregon, and Washington, and should really be a like a poster child or a case study for how we can return the ocean to an abundant state. And not even in a long period, like this change from collapse to abundance really happened within the space of about 10, 15 years. So that's, that's a pretty motivating time span, I believe. So my mission is to, first of all, talk about this and inspire other fisheries to follow in in those footsteps and for consumers here on the West Coast to actually start appreciating their local fish species that are in abundance because they are one of the best food choices one can make. So, you know... I guess most people eat I guess all of our food choices have an environmental impact whether it's whether you're a vegan or or an omnivore all of our food choices have an impact but a wild sustainably caught abundant fish species is pretty much on par with with plants when it comes to CO2 emissions there's almost None, really, because a wild a wild fish doesn't require any any fresh water, obviously, which we have so little of on this planet. A wild fish species doesn't require any land, and therefore any land conversion. Right? No, no rainforest needs to be um, cut down in order to make space for grazing land. It doesn't require any feeding. It doesn't require any feed, any hormones, antibiotics, any uh, pesticides, herbicides, fertilizer, etc. And all of these things that are really common for any other type of food production that have all kinds of environmental impacts are not a factor at all when you're talking about a wild fish, and especially one that is in such abundance and is carefully managed. So in my mind, this is a a really positive choice that we can make. And, you know, I realized um, there are so many issues in the world that I could dedicate myself to. But knowing myself, I wanted to work on something that is a positive beacon, that helps people move towards something. You know, rather than just saying, don't eat this, don't do this, stay away from this, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and kind of iterate on that doom and gloom view of the world, I wanted to shine a light on something that is a a light of hope, that it can get better again, and that there are, in fact, good choices that we can make. So, because that also is sustainable for me, because working on something that's just doom and gloom over and over and over again, I don't know, that just eats my soul after a while. And I don't want to do that to myself. So I'm working on the positive side of, of the equation. Yeah.
1: Yana, you are um, so inspiring. Um, <laughs> I sometimes forget that as a, fr- as, your, as a good friend, right? Like you were like my best friend. Um, at the GSB and I feel like, you know, you're, you continue to be one of my best friends and I forget how, um, how poignant your choices have been, that your life has been. Um, and, and, you know, I I think there's so many other topics we could go into today and it's been such an amazing, (laughs) um, sort of like last half hour to spend with you, um, so I guess I'll end on this question, which is if, if someone is listening to this now and says, you know, when I grow up, I want to I be Yana, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: what,
1: what, would you, um, what would your advice to them be?
2: I mean, first of all, don't be me, be yourself, right? To be fearless in maybe have fear, but try it anyway. Because each time you do something new, you gain confidence. It builds your courage muscle. And you realize just how resourceful you can be. And the world becomes a bigger, more magical place full of opportunity. Every time you do that. And when you give that sort of gift to yourself, you have a bigger chance, I think, of finally landing on something that really clicks with you and where you feel in alignment with, yeah, where your work, your character, your strengths, and your mission and purpose all align. But in order to do that, you have to have the courage to actually go and find out. So experiment, try new things, and, you know, look at how you're feeling when you're, when you're doing that kind of work or when you're in that country or place or with those people do you feel good do you feel in alignment and that's sort of always been my guiding guiding light or principle
0: yana that's perfect i couldn't have asked you to close off this podcast with a more inspirational speech it's um <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 much I feel like
2: fighting morning.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like you're my best friend as well so, Natalie, you have to make some space for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> well, guys, we are at the closing now. We've uh, hit our time threshold. On the behalf of uh, everyone here, Natalie, Claya, Robinson, Jess Furman, Stephen Kwong, our special guest Yana Hennig, we're closing out, wishing everyone such a lovely day, and of course, until next time, peace.